This is Andrew from Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. And I never, never listen to I Doubt It with Dalimore, eh? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalimore. All right. Welcome, one and all, and thank you for joining us for this monumental 240th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting in an awkward position across from me, (laughs) lovely and apparently very limber, co-host... Brittany Page. You know, I have just been going and going and going all day, and this is the first time that I have been able to sit in a comfortable for me position, and this is what a comfortable for me position is. My legs don't uh, bend. Well, they bend that way. They just don't bend that far that way. You know. And I guess maybe we should explain to the audience that you're seated with... Like you're you're sitting with your butt, you're sitting like straight up, uh-huh. but your knees, your 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 heels are touching your butt. It's yeah. like you have no muscle, and you're like a newborn baby. <laughs> you're so limber. There's no way I could do that. Well, I don't. I don't think it's limber. I think you touched on it. I think it's no muscle tone <laughs> whatsoever. My quadriceps would not allow my leg to to go to bend inward flat it's because of your beastly manly leg it's structure. like you're doing the reverse splits <laughs> kind of right is that a way to explain it yeah well that's one reason i've ne- i am not considered limber is that even when i was a young child in gymnastics i could not do the splits all the way i think it might have been stress because you watched child abuse when you took gymnastics as I a did. kid. Yeah. I did. Like grown men coaches slapping children yeah. in the face. Yeah, he smacked a girl in the face. <laughs> but that's how they raise those gymnasts upright. I guess so. I heard. Gabby Douglas and, <laughs> and uh, I'm Simone Biles. I'm obviously joking. Well, we're here. We might as well get right into the, the follow-up since it's going to be a weird detour. We didn't really have anything planned for intro anyway, so this b- better chance than any. Um, oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, Hope what, Solo. What was happening? Got fucking shit canned today, which is good news. She will no longer be representing the United States in uh, U.S. women's soccer team based from the statement specifically on the unsportsmanlike comments that she made after their loss to Sweden. Right. U.S. soccer's president said the comments. You, by- you don't have to say it like that. He's the he's president. The president. <laughs> well, actually, you're he's calling. Just a, he's just a dude who's in charge of soccer. You're calling me out when no one would have noticed <laughs> is what I'm trying to do is avoid reading his name. Oh, OK. Well, yeah. the the president <laughs> of United Federation of Women's Soccer. What did he say, Brittany Page? The comments by Hope Solo after the match against Sweden during the 2016 Olympics were unacceptable and do not meet the standard of conduct we require from our national team players. Good for them. Beyond the athletic arena, 
and beyond the results, the Olympics celebrate and represent the ideals of fair play and respect. We expect all our representatives to honor those principles with no exceptions. Good. Good for them. Um, it is. It takes a, well, there wasn't really a load. Oh, it takes a load off. But, you know, it, um, it, it, that was a, it, she besmirched the reputation of U.S. sports and embarrassed every clear-thinking American out there on the issue. And it's good to see her go because she's a fucking basket of goddamn trouble anyway, whether it be beating up her domestic partner, her boyfriend or husband or whatever. I think it was her family members, it, like her niece or something. Oh, that's right. It was her sister and her nephew. Right. That's what it was. But still, it's just fucking too many goddamn problems. So she released a statement, but she did not apologize for anything that the U.S. soccer suspended her for. And she she said that she was saddened by the decision to terminate her contract. Hmm. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to see her go. It's a uh, fresh start. You know, kind of one of those... Uh, you know, you, uh, you wipe the dust off your, you pat the dust off your hands and you move on. Well, in other news related to this is Ryan Lochte, whose behavior actually kind of diminishes what she did because his rose to the level of crimin- criminality in, um, well, even in America it would. It's given a false statement. But uh, he lost all of his fucking endorsements. Everybody is running away from Ryan Lochte right now. And, you know, that's just capitalism in action because they don't want to be a part. They don't want to be so their brands to be associated with this maniac. Uh, well, more of a moron than a maniac, but, you know, the dumbest guy in sports. So Speedo, Polo, Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren. It's not as fancy as you think. Well, and whatever. if you really go, it's Ralph Lipschitz. Okay. That's his real last name. Gentle hair removal. <laughs> and Well, I guess he's a swimmer. That makes sense. And mattress maker Airweave. Where can I get me an endorsement deal with gentle hair removal? Well, you're going to have to be less hairy first. Because if they could work some magic on me, Monkey Boy McGee... Uh, I would be, it would be worth the endorsement deal. Like before and after photos, that would be nice, right? Yeah. So those <laughs> four businesses have cut ties with yeah. him. Ralph the largest, Lauren. The largest of which is probably either Ralph Lauren or Speedo. Yeah. A big deal. Uh, gentle hair removal is pretty big. <laughs> Lots. So that is all business. good news. The other piece of follow-up, well, there's more than this, but another piece of follow-up, Antria Tantraneros. I think I'm saying her name right. She was a, a lady that was a co-host on The Five. You may on... have seen her often sitting where the leg cam could show off her legs. On Fox News. Yes. And she is joining the chorus of women who are not only coming out about the virulent and masculine, misogynistic, uh, unhealthy atmosphere over there at Fox News. But she's joining what seems to be a growing member uh, club of people who are filing lawsuits against the organization. 
The latest sexual harassment lawsuit against Fox News and Roger Ailes alleges that the network's executives actively retaliated against on-air personality Andrea Tantaneros after she repeatedly complained about inappropriate conduct in the workplace. She filed a lawsuit on Monday and declared that, quote, Fox News masquerades as a defender of traditional family values, but behind the scenes, it operates like a sex-fueled playboy mansion-like cult steeped in intimidation, indecency, and misogyny. In particular, she names Roger Ailes, Bill O'Reilly, and several on-air contributors as having allegedly harassed her. And Mm. she accuses top executives, including Ailes' successor, Bill Shine, of trying to intimidate her from complaining further. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, in the light of everything we've heard from, from Gretchen Carlson and even Megyn Kelly, it's very believable. When you have one claim, I think it's it's normal to have some skepticism. Like, oh, is this just kind of a retaliatory thing? But when multiple women come out, you, there's just no way to do that anymore. So Andrea says, similar to what the others have said, is that she denied his repeated sexual advances, and then he then demoted her from a regular co-hosting job that she had to The Five, and then to the noon hour show Outnumbered, which is horrible if you've ever had a chance to see it. The whole premise is that there's only one man. That's what Outnumbered means. The whole thing is based on a a sexist premise. Well, it's just the leg cam. I'm outnumbered, all these ladies. Well, it's... It's only for the leg cam because they're sitting on an open couch. All the legs are there. circular couch, yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So anyway, she also said that Roger Ailes would ask her to twirl in his office and show off her body for him. God damn. That he would call Kimberly Guilfoyle a quote unquote Puerto Rican whore. Jesus Christ. And would inquire into whether or not Greg Gutfeld and Dana Perino were having an extramarital affair. Uh, well, no, there's one more. That he would refer to Stacy Dash as the black girl. <laughs> I mean, really, all the liberals and all the people who are Fox naysayers, it's as though everything they could have dreamed that was going on at Fox <laughs> was actually going on. It is bizarre. You know, she names so many people in this. She even names Dean Kane. Oh, yeah. Uh, Superman Dickface. Who's always on Fox News. He, he's a... God's not dead. He's surely alive. <laughs> Living on the outside. <laughs> okay. So she says that Dean... Thank you for covering for me. That was great. She says that Dean Kane inappropriately groped her. The, the list just goes on and on about about all the, the shady goings on. I believe... Every fucking word of it, too. Or if you want to use this beautiful, beautiful language, the sex-fueled Playboy Mansion-like cult. And that's gross. Seriously. seems like a very bad workplace situation. Listen, I know what you would feel about a Playboy Mansion party, but Uh that even grosses (laughs) me out. Because just think about all the, the errant... DNA that's everywhere in that fucking place. I don't wanna. Crusty oh, leavens oh, Jesus. of people's encounters. That is not good. Ugh. I wouldn't even want to drink from the stemware in that place Come because on. who knows what's going on. 
Fox News, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to uh, some more serious follow-up. We covered the terrible, alarming case of Brock Turner, the Stanford rapist, the convicted rapist, the swimmer who raped a girl behind a dumpster and effectively got away with it. Well, apparently, this is a running theme that is starting to happen, or maybe the media is just reporting on it more, but the same kind of thing has happened in Massachusetts. Once again, the sentence in a sexual assault case is being criticized as too light. The accused, a former high school athlete in western Massachusetts, will not spend any time behind bars. Michelle Miller is following the case. According to documents in the case, 18-year-old David Becker assaulted two unconscious females at a friend's house party in April. The victims told police that all three had been drinking and fell asleep in an upstairs bedroom. Later that morning, victim number one said she awoke to find her pants and underwear down to her thighs. She told police in no time did she consent to David touching her. Victim number two told police that Becker assaulted her too that night. The next day, victim number one says Becker texted her, just wanted you to know that I am really sorry. She replied to him, don't even worry about it. It's all good. She told authorities that she didn't know what else to say. Becker was charged with two counts of rape and faced the possibility of two years in prison. The judge sentenced him to two years probation, no jail time. Becker's attorney defended the sentence, saying, We all made mistakes when we were 17, 18, 19 years old, and we shouldn't be branded for life with a felony offense and branded a sex offender. But the judge's decision has been widely criticized for being too lenient. Lori Levinson is a professor at Loyola Law School. I think there's a strong outcry because there's a perception among the public that we're not taking these cases seriously enough, that we're not protecting the women. Carla Martin was classmates with Becker. This whole sentencing shows other people, other victims of sexual assault, that if they say something, no justice is going to happen. A spokesman for the DA's office here says that one of the accusers said in her victim impact statement that she didn't believe jail time was necessary. Maurice court watchers say the fact that neither of the accusers were present in court may have been a factor in the judge's decision. Michelle Miller in Palmer, Massachusetts tonight. So that lawyer sounds like a real nice guy. Don't they all? <laughs> Goddamn. Let me tell you something, sir. We've all made mistakes when we were 17, 18, and 19, and we shouldn't all be branded for life as sex offenders. Well, then who else are we going to brand as sex offenders if we're not going to brand sex offenders as sex offenders, you fucking maniac? You know, that is really sound logic that you just used there. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, it's disgusting. He raped two women. He violated them, assaulted them, had sex with them without their consent. You know, I love how the lawyer said, quote, the goal of this sentence was not to impede this individual from graduating high school and to go on to the next step of his life, which is a college experience. 
Now, how do you think the girls, how do you think their college experience right. is going to, how do you think their life experience is going to be going forward? Right. What kind of foot are they starting off on? So he gets to walk out of that courtroom and I don't know how, how he might be feeling, but these, these women that he has victimized, right? Yeah. How long is that going to last? Listen, it's not even that. I mean, obviously, I have deep abiding empathy and sorrow for these victims. But think about the future women he's going to interact with having been taught zero lessons by the American ju- justice system. Well, that's the other thing. He he gets to go on into his next stage of life having a college experience. Well, I hope that he isn't doing similar things during his college experience. Right. The justice system, and by justice system, I mean this judge, this prosecutor, this defense attorney has failed his possible future victims. Their quote-unquote blood will be on their hands. His future victims and their misery and their suffering and their victimhood will be on them. As well as this monster this entitled little piece of shit. Well, it's disturbing how people might take the victim's response, right? When he texted her and apologized. Oh, yeah. Um, and she said, don't even worry about it. It's disturbing to think that people would use that text message against her or against a victim because... Like she said, how do you respond to well, that, she, right? She and, wants to shorten the communication as quickly as she can with her attacker. Right, and she's probably just, you know, getting this message like, what the fuck is this, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't worry about it, bro. Like, I, you know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I yeah. mean, how are you even supposed to respond to that, you know? Sickening. So... Something needs to be done. I mean, really, there, there, there does need to be something done from an education standpoint. And this good old boys club of, oh, boys will be boys. No, boys will not be boys. It's, it doesn't come with the handbook. Oh, you got a penis? Here's all the great things you get to do. That's bullshit. All right, let's move on before I have a, an aneurysm into more uh, also shitty news. (laughs) We have covered Martin Shkreli before and his 5,000% increase of the price of a drug, some kind of an antibacterial drug or an antifungal drug that that, that, uh, treated malaria and was used in AIDS treatments. And apparently the same kind of thing's happening again, except this time with a, a company which apparently is one of the only companies to manufacture EpiPens, people who are allergic to peanuts, people who are allergic to bees, and they need a shot of adrenaline to stay alive and stave off the infe- uh, the the allergic reaction that they're having to whatever pathogen or whatever um, substance that they're allergic. And uh, another company is not doing the right thing. Members of Congress are demanding to know why the price of EpiPens has skyrocketed. They deliver life-saving injections for people with severe allergies. But as we've reported, the price has gone up by nearly 500%. Benita Nair has been following this. 
She started going into anaphylactic shock. Her lips turned blue. She started swelling. She wasn't able to breathe. Lexi and Justin Henniger's daughter, Ellie, almost died from food allergies twice. An EpiPen saved her life. But the price of the injectors soared over seven years ago, from about $100 for a two-pack to over $600 today. All of it for a drug that delivers just $1 or $2 worth of the life-saving hormone, epinephrine. It became a virtual monopoly for Mylan after a competitor took a similar product off the market. Mylan's a good guy. Uh, they have one product where they're finally starting to make a little bit of money and everyone's going crazy over it. Former head of Turing Pharmaceuticals, Martin Shkreli, is currently under indictment for securities fraud. He was heavily criticized for his 5,000% hike of the malaria and HIV drug, Daraprim. Today, he defended myelin. These are life-saving drugs. People don't have a choice whether they can buy them or not. Yeah, well, that's up to insurance to pay for them. Like I said, it's $300 a pen. $300. My iPhone's $700. Okay, so but you don't a, need an iPhone to exist. Yeah, that doesn't matter, though, because it's $300 and 90% of Americans are insured. In a statement, Milan said that they are, quote, committed to working with customers and payers to find solutions to meet the needs of the patients and families they serve. Maurice, today the company's stock fell 5%. But a denier, thank you. So apparently it's going to be the day where after every clip I, I respond with, oh, that, that so-and-so is a real nice guy. And again proving that there's something fucking wrong with him, Martin Shkreli opens up his mouth and just validates it for the whole world. Well, something that confuses me is, have these people not watched the news or seen anyone interviewed and listened to those moments that we just heard right now in the clip where someone says something horrible and we all react like, okay, what just happened? Because they have to know what they're saying is not being received well, and they right. they just must not care. You mean the, well, they're finally starting to make a little money, and then everybody jumps down their throat. You mean that? Well, also, how disconnected from reality yes. that is not your reality yes. are you when you start talking, well, my phone costs this much, so... Uh, what? Right. It's a life-saving drug. If someone gets stung by a fucking bee, asshole, or a kid who's allergic to peanuts in a mortal way, and they have to have the EpiPen, and you run the EpiPen store, and the kid runs in, and he's dying, and it's, oh, no, shell out the $600, or, <laughs> sorry, buddy, that's not the way it works. This is one of the reasons why I believe there does need to be a higher level of government regulation of this particular sector of our economy. Because this isn't iPhones, like he mentioned. This is life-saving necessities. And it's disgusting for them to run this kind of a racket. Well, it's scary, too, because you would think, oh, we don't need to worry about this. People would never do this to their fellow human beings. And here we are. And then you listen to Martin Shkreli talk. <laughs> and I just don't even know what to do with that. How honestly. you said his name is actually exactly how he looks. <laughs> Martin Shkreli. Shkreli. He's just a weaselly little worm. He's small. Well, there's another layer to this story that I haven't heard reported. And that is the CEO of this particular company is the daughter of Joe Manchin, who is the former governor of the state of West Virginia, 
and current Democratic senator. Right. His daughter, Heather Bresch, is chief executive of the company. And, and apparently she gave herself a big fat raise in the wake of this. Yeah, I'm not seeing that in this article, but maybe you've read that somewhere, right? I, yeah, I, I did read. I don't know the exact number. I think it's 18 or 19 grand, but it's not good that, that their sales team, their executive team, they're, they're, they're enriching themselves off of well, ultimately what is the misery of others. I just don't know how that's ethical or moral, for that matter. So I wonder if Joe Manchin's gonna, gonna, who is a good noble man. He's a guy who's a Democrat, but he splits the he splits the aisle all the time, doing the right thing. So I don't know. It, it, it's definitely a bummer. All right. Are we gonna have less bummerific stories coming up? I just don't see that happening today. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, oh, dang. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode, as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. So we don't have any new patrons on Patreon or supporters on PayPal to mention, but I do, and I'm not going to mention in my name because I didn't talk to him about it prior, but we had someone significantly raise the amount that they pledged significantly. And uh, thank you. You know who you are. Goddamn. Pretty great. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you very much. If you would like to support the show, like the lovely British lady just said, whether it be a quarter an episode or 50 cents an episode, every little bit is awesome and we appreciate it very, very much. And the closer we get to that next goal where we add you know, a third show, it's all based on our audience. So thank you guys. You are awesome. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, in the wake of the recent back and forth between campaigns about you need to release your medical records because you're, you got brain damage and you need to release your tax returns because it's likely that you've got ties to the Russians, there hasn't been a lot of, of, of noise coming from either party to call for both sides to do equal. And it came from what I believe to be a relatively unexpected source. Jason Chaffetz is a congressman from Utah, pretty brash, pretty conservative. Uh, I think an early Tea Party guy. I don't know exactly where he is now. But he is calling for both sides to release both their tax returns and their medical records. Does Donald yeah. Trump's refusal to release his own tax returns, which would show his business interests uh, and might raise questions about potential influence on his own campaign of money interests, or if he were to be elected president, uh, d does that not raise the same question? Shouldn't he be equally transparent on his business relationships, his investments, etc.? 
If you're going to run and try to become the President of the United States, you're going to have to open up your kimono and show everything. Your tax returns, your medical records, you're just going to have to do that. It's too important. So both candidates, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, uh, should show both their medical records and their tax returns. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And I think he nailed it when he talks about transparency. Because... All of these factors go into the American people picking their president. If you know that a pre- that a candidate has terminal cancer, mm-hmm. it's going to be factored in when you decide who to vote for. I'm not saying either one of them has that, but it, all of these little things matter. If you know that Donald Trump has business dealings, deep-rooted ties to Russia, it would or it should color your decision of whether or not you vote for him. All of these things you sign off when you run for president. Well, I mean, hopefully. I have seen a number of people post online yeah. that nothing will change their mind. Uh, it, so, I mean, honestly... Maybe the most idiotic statement anyone could make. Well, what's the point of waiting until November then? Right. right. Let's just get on with it. Why even have the debates? Like, why does any of this matter? Let's just have the vote tomorrow. If if no one's going to change their mind when they're presented with new information or when they see Donald Trump get smashed in a debate because he's not capable. Right. I mean, come on here. Well, along with tra- the transparency thing, and that's kind of what all these next com- co- stories are going to kind of be about, is about their lack of transparency, whether it be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Now, listen, clearly this isn't a Trump-friendly program, but Hillary Clinton has a lot of problems on that front, too, of refusing to be transparent, doing the old trust me routine with her email servers. And then we're finding out that she's meeting, well, we're going to get to all that. But let's let's go in the line that I plan to go. We reported yesterday, this is kind of weird what, to say, what we reported that the New York Times reported. Because <laughs> <laughs> we really didn't do any independent reporting of ourselves. Yes. The New York Times reported that Trump's finances are kind of fucked, to put it in a Christian way. <laughs> that his businesses are in far greater debt than he has previously indicated. So, so you you've been working on this for on this story for about three months. You found that the the debt that uh, the companies that Donald Trump is associated with they have about six hundred fifty million dollars in debt, which is what twice more than in public filings. Twice more than was apparent in public filings, which is the public filings ask for a range. So if a loan was $160 million on the public filing that Mr. Trump was required to, to, to fill out, it would be just listed as a greater than 50. So I think what our, our, our story did was simply give a lot more transparency into the actual number in the case of the debt. Which seems like a, a significant difference. It, it is, and it's just a matter of sort of, I think, putting actual numbers on it versus those ranges that had been disclosed. What's, I, I want to get the, Boris's response in just yeah. a second, but what surprised you most about you know, what you found in the wake of reporting? What I found really interesting about the story was simply the, the ties that we found behind both the debt and his various 
business holdings. It was just a lot of things that were hard to discern. And I just think that those those relationships, you know, could come into play and could be significant should he enter the White House in terms of who will have his ear and, and the pressures that may be brought to bear on him that, necess- that aren't necessarily readily apparent. And that's sort of what I found really interesting. Of course, it's interesting sure. because, I mean, he's been going after yeah. the Clinton Foundation for, you know, connections to overseas governments and stuff. And yet what Sue's essentially saying is that there's a lack of transparency. Well, Anderson, the Clintons have been taking money into the foundation and to the global initiative while Hillary Clinton has been Secretary of State. That's pay to play. That's very different from what we're talking about here with a private businessman. So that's point one. Well, we, point we don't, two. but we, what she's saying is we don't really know who the contacts and who the, these relationships, what, who Donald Trump has relationships with. And I'll address, with. so on the debt, on the amount of the debt. Say you owned a home with four partners, right? And he rambles on there and doesn't actually give an answer, which is, you know, par for the course for a Trump surrogate. But this is concerning because let's say that, you know, he beats the odds and it, it, the, the 99% chance that he's not going to be president comes, comes crashing down on us and he becomes the president. To whom does he owe this money? When the debtors, they come a-calling and he's president of the United States and he can open up all the different uh, cookie jars and let them reach elbow deep into the cookie jars, enriching themselves with government contracts and whatever else is a favor because they hold the purse strings and they he, he owes them money. That is a problem. So he needs to come clean. I love how he refers to Hillary as crooked Hillary. Right. And everyone loves to talk about all the scandals that Hillary Clinton has been involved in, which truly are legitimate talking points, legitimate things that need to be talked about. But you cannot, you cannot deny that there are many suspicious things surrounding Donald Trump. So many. Well, even just the Russia connection, which was deeply rooted with Paul Manafort at the helm and him asking for the, the Russians, his friends in Russia, to hack the DNC, that's a problem. And now we're finding out that the New York Times, who's uncovering all of this stuff about the $650 million in debt and so many other aspects of problematic issues with Donald Trump, well, the New York Times itself is now being hacked. And who do they suspect? Donald Trump's good buddies, the Russians. The cyber attack reported against the New York Times and other media organizations. FBI now investigating whether the Russian hackers who targeted the DNC are also behind these attacks. ABC's chief investigative correspondent Brian Ross tracking the case. Good morning, Brian. Well, good morning, George and Amy. U.S. officials this morning confirmed to ABC News that the cyber war sneak attacks by Russia are now targeting the American news media, including the country's most influential news organization, the New York Times. No group of journalists is better connected than those inside this building with the most sensitive, high-level sources inside government. Russian intelligence wants to know what the New York Times is going to write before it writes it, and they want to know who their sources are inside Russia. U.S. officials say they are now investigating a series of cyber attacks against the Times from Russia, targeting its bureau in Moscow. The Times says none of its internal systems was breached or compromised. Officials say the attacks came from the same Russian hackers who did compromise the computers of the Democratic National Committee. The telltale signs from the DNC were the IP addresses that were being used were previously attributed to Russian attacks. 
The hacked DNC emails showed how supposedly neutral party officials tried to undercut the campaign of Bernie Sanders. Sensitive emails and voicemail messages about big Democratic donors and the favors they sought. The Russian hackers have a long list of successful and embarrassing operations. They hit a non-classified system at the White House and a classified system at the Pentagon. A report last week said Russian hackers had successfully compromised a private communications network for a foundation run by American billionaire George Soros. Cybersecurity experts we talked to say no news organization with reporters logging in from all over the world and needing quick access would be able to withstand a sophisticated attack from the well-trained Russian government hackers. Just can't protect your accounts like Cautionary that. tale for all of us, George. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Right. Russ, thanks very much. You hear him a little worried there. Oh, cautionary tale. Goddamn. Mind your password, George. Mind it. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is problematic. It's an issue. When you have Donald Trump with the media's lenses fixed upon him, calling for attacks like this from an adversary of the United States. That is a problem. Well, and he's also so easily fooled people into joining in on this attack and encouraging this kind of behavior rather than taking a step back from the political polarization and saying, wait a minute, how should I feel about this? Without taking into consideration my knee-jerk reaction to defend the political party that I affiliate myself with. Yes. I mean, how difficult is that? I understand. Very difficult. But can we <laughs> Can we stop? Can we stop? Is there something... I get it. I get it. It's really tough. It's <laughs> Donald Trump. Is there something that can be done to, to stop this knee-jerk reaction because of political party affiliation. I mean, honestly, well, it's no. really disturbing at no, this point. No, because I don't believe Donald Trump's in this to try to do anything noble or good. He's in there to enrich himself, as evidenced by the fact that he's paid his kids like seven or eight million dollars out of all, you know, all the money that uh, he's raising. I don't know why he's raising it, because he's self-funding, but all of the millions and millions of dollars that he's raising through his campaign Uh, He's paying to himself and to his children. According to a filing with the Federal Elections Commission, Republican Donald Trump has so far paid $7.7 million in campaign contributions to his own companies and children. And these payments are only increasing. In May, they totaled at least $1.1 million, nearly 20% of all campaigns spending that month. And in July, another 800000 came into the Trump brood. There's something wrong with that. It doesn't pass the smell test. Well, Paul Ryan, a campaign finance expert... You and mean the- not the... The Speaker of the House, a different Paul Ryan. A different one. <laughs> I guess I should say Paul S. Ryan. Right. Oh, did they put the S in there? Yeah. It's probably because they don't want you to think it's Paul Ryan from Wisconsin. Yeah. A campaign finance expert and the deputy executive director of the Campaign Legal Center. So definitely not the Speaker of the House. No. <laughs> he has said the extent of Mr. Trump's use of his own companies for goods and services during the campaign is unprecedented. It has the potential to transfer donations to himself and his children it's not even that though listen to this folks because i haven't heard this anywhere else i I obviously heard it somewhere because we're talking about it but donald trump his book 
uh, America fuckery, whatever the name of his book is, America Crippled. Crippled America, how to make America great again. That is right. It is back on the New York Times bestseller list. And oh my God, you're thinking, oh, all the hayseeds out there. Can't read real good, but I'm going to get this Trump book. It's going to teach me how to make America great again. Oh God. Right? You'd think that all these people are buying these books. Well... Listen up, folks, because that is not the case. Donald Trump's campaign used its own funds to buy more copies <laughs> of his books than the rest of the world did in the second week of May. Yeah, he did. The purchase was so large that it even pushed the 2015 title onto the bestseller list of Nielsen Bookscan. Oh, not New York Times bestseller list. The Nielsen ratings for book sales. And this is according to the Daily Beast. On May 10th, the Trump campaign spent $55,000 at New York Barnes & Noble on 3,964 copies of, again, Crippled America, How to Make America Great Again. The buy was a departure from standard campaign practice, which dictates that which dictates that bulk orders be placed with the book publisher to avoid artificially boosting sales. Right. Which will, in turn, enrich himself. Because one, he's getting paid for this. But also, because he just went down to the local fucking Barnes and Noble, everybody. I also want to say, in the same week, other cities in the United States purchased a mere fraction of what the Trump campaign did. 70 copies were sold in Philadelphia, 78 in Los Angeles, and 41 in Dallas. And $55,000 worth at some random Barnes & Noble in New York City. Come on. That is insane. And that's not even all of it, of the impropriety. All the shit that doesn't pass the smell test. Although, shit just you probably never passes the smell test, Brittany, because it's shit and everything. Okay. Trump's <laughs> office space that he's been leasing to the campaign in Trump Tower... Apparently, it's getting a lot more expensive now that he's not self-funding his campaign. Trump nearly quintupled wow. the monthly rent his presidential campaign pays for at its headquarters at Trump Tower. <laughs> that is insane. It has gone up to $169,758 in July when he was raising funds from donors compared with March... When he was self-funding his campaign. Now, in March, it was $35,458. He also has fewer staff now than he did then. So why all the need for this expensive office space when you have fewer people using the goddamn office space, Donald Trump? Well, that's the interesting thing, because uh, in March, there were 197 paid employees and consultants. And in July, 172. Ah, uh, wow. So the number actually went down. Dramatically. Yet there's a 35000 to $169,000 comparison going on here. So he's bilking. I know that there's not a lot of, well, we have few Trump supporters who listen to the show. But if you've given to the campaign, he's wasting your money enriching himself. He is using your dollars to buy books fr from which he profits and to lease himself office space. 
I mean, I feel kind of bad for Donald Trump supporters because, like I said earlier, they're being so easily fooled. Bamboozled. And, I mean, how much of this stuff needs to be reported before they start asking questions and thinking, wait, this really is weird. Why is this happening? Is he fooling us? Is he ripping us off? Why is Ivanka and the two slicky boy greasers... Why are they? Because, you know, they got a lot of stuff in that hair, Brittany. I I don't know what's going on. I understand what your reference is. That is is not good, whatever's (laughs) happening. What they need to do is buy some stock or maybe just take over a, like, Schwarzkopf hair care product company. Mm. Have it be a Trump joint. You know what I mean? Nice drop. Because they would... uh, It's the only one I could think of. Vidal Sassoon. (laughs) Because, you know, they would, uh, they could keep the company going just on their own needs for gel, greasy looking gel. Yeah. 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 And also something to rest their hands on when they hold them fingertip to fingertip. That's right. With each finger. Like an evil villain. (laughs) During every interview they do, they're pointing their fingertips while they're clasped (laughs) together staring straight at you god damn terrifying disgusting so anyway listen this is a problem it's not a problem overall more transparency needs to be had what transparency is he gonna have when he doesn't need to i mean he laughs at this stuff right he doesn't care he knows that people aren't gonna care he knows his audience he he totally knows his audience and it's what we were saying what i was saying last time i've never said this whatever it is about rudy giuliani (laughs) when you're saying that he must have some that he must have brain damage dr drew and I, I, i just i said i worry about his health because Listen, Rudy, and I'm not going to sit here and defend myself, but he's somebody—he's uh. somebody that I've respected in the past, and so it's me trying to cover my own ass. Like, well, how did you respect this guy if he's this much of a fucking jackass? Well, people change, and H- they—him they, or me, both. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, there just needs to be more. And I realize that's not going to happen probably from either side because they're so entrenched at this point. Well, that's why they're both so unlikable. Right. Let's do one more thing on Trump and then let's get off this. I, I've I've talked about this and I've done YouTube videos about this uncomfortable relationship with racism and racists and white nationalist groups within the Republican Party who are actively, openly supporting the Republican Party. You've got David Duke, who's now announced his candidacy for the Senate in Louisiana, former Grand Wizard of the KKK, because he feels emboldened. He's a surge of energy is running through his racist body because Donald Trump is doing so well. Well, right now, there's a thing called the alt-right. And here is a report from Fox News. So it's not CNN, it's not MSNBC, it's not some liberal uh, outlet for news. It's Fox fucking news. And they hold the same opinion, although they do use some wiggle words, but they call it like they see it. Donald Trump's selection of Breitbart boss Steve Bannon as his campaign CEO is bringing new attention to the idea of the alternative right, also known as the alt-right, and what that means. 
Correspondent Doug McKelway has an explainer tonight. Among the huge crowds that greet Donald Trump in city after city are members of the newly coined alt-right. Mostly white, male, blue-collar, rural, or red state. And for them, Trump has struck a chord. We are going to build the wall. As much as it embraces Trump's message, the alt-right has rejected that of the traditional GOP, labeling them cucks, meaning conservatives <laughs> who are supposedly emasculated by globalist progressive forces. Critics have found a villain in the alt-right, labeling them as uneducated racists and sexists, energized by Trump's rejection of political correctness. But the alt-right movement is not so easily categorized. Among its members, Jared Taylor, editor of the nonprofit American Renaissance, a man often accused of being a white supremacist. The idea that America is just a nation up for grabs, that whoever can get here owns the place. No, we think that the United States has an identity and that the people who are descended from the founding stock have a right to resist dispossession. Are you a racist? Absolutely not. I don't really want to know what that term means. Also identifying with the alt-right, British Breitbart columnist Milo Yiannopoulos, a flamboyant, openly gay conservative who has embarked on a college tour intent on destroying campus political correctness. If people rise up now and say this social justice thing, this language policing, this political correctness, safe spaces, trigger warnings, microaggressions, this stuff is horse and if enough people smash its stranglehold on the public square, it will never recover. Some Jewish conservatives who've criticized Trump, Fox News contributor Jonah Goldberg among them, have been targeted by the alt-right with hate mail and tweets that use Holocaust imagery. Some say the alt-right is a predictable outgrowth of multiculturalism. When you have a multicultural society, you don't have political parties anymore. You have people voting their ethnic group. Whatever you say they are, they tend to say they're not, whether it's anti-Semitic, racist, countercultural, anti-establishment. Uh, they become very difficult for people to nail down and define as a political movement. Hillary Clinton is set to launch a full-fledged attack on the alt-right tomorrow. She will speak in Reno, Nevada to call out Trump's, quote, embrace of the disturbing alt-right political philosophy. The alt-right is fully prepared to engage her. Brett? All right, Doug, thank you. What does it tell you about this particular movement when you've got Ann Coulter singing the praises of the alt-right? Or Bannon from Breitbart? Or Milo Yiannopoulos, who acts like that this safe space political correctness thing has a stranglehold, as he puts it, on the public square. It doesn't have a, a stranglehold in the public square. Isn't it's he a, talking? It's a problem. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Isn't he being interviewed? His voice is being heard by millions of people. On CNN. <laughs> Disgusting. Same with Ann Coulter. Same with all these people, right? Well, the what does it say about the movement when those are the spokespeople? Of course, but also to your point about the the safe spaces and the whatever he was talking about that have the the stranglehold. No, they don't it's because not, he's free. Right. He's free to go and talk uh, the way that he does, and he gets challenged when he goes to college campuses. I think sometimes he gets disinvited, well, which is a problem. I, but I, that's at college campuses. That's not in the public square, like he says. Right, of course, because he can go on any show and be interviewed. That's right. And they're not going to censor him. They're not going to censor what he said. I heard him being interviewed on KFI here in Los Angeles just a couple weeks ago yeah and he was saying all the things that he says also on the radio what's with the guy who says she asks are you racist he goes no i'm not racist ha, ha, ha. i don't even know what that term means well it's either because you're fucking stupid 
or you're a racist. What do you mean you don't know what racist means? It has a definition. He knows what it means. <laughs> what a maniac. So this is it, folks. This is what I've been talking about for a long time. I mean, it's it's not like I'm some kind of prognosticator, but I've been screaming about this relationship with white supremacists and white nationalists and the relationship between the Republican Party and these racist groups over the course of several months and several YouTube videos. It is a problem, and it's also the sign that this Republican Party that we've known for the last 40 years is goddamn dead. All right. Let's move on. Hillary Clinton isn't in great shape herself. All kinds of new things have come out. The AP, the Associated Press, not Fox News, not Breitbart, the Associated Press has come out with a report on donor meetings and the percentage of which the people who Hillary Clinton met, how many of them had given money. Hillary Clinton's campaign is rejecting an Associated Press story on her meetings with Clinton Foundation donors while she was Secretary of State. Documents show more than half of the people from outside the U.S. government who spoke with Secretary Clinton also gave money to the foundation. Donald Trump claims the report is proof of a pay-for-play scheme. Nancy Cordes looks at the new charges dogging the Democratic nominee. Nancy, good morning. Good morning. This report is creating new perception problems for the Clinton campaign and the State Department, which have both been arguing for days that foundation donors got no special treatment by Secretary Clinton. Clinton herself hasn't weighed in on the controversy because she spent most of the past three days out of the public eye, courting campaign donors in California. Lie after lie after lie. Hillary Clinton is totally unfit to hold public office. In Austin, Trump accused the Clintons of running a criminal enterprise. It is impossible to figure out where the Clinton Foundation ends and the State Department begins. He cited the new analysis by the Associated Press, which examined Hillary Clinton's daily schedules as Secretary of State and found 85 of the 154 private individuals who got meetings or phone calls with her had donated to the foundation, either personally or through their organization. This is why I have called for a special prosecutor to look into this mess. His allies followed suit. A special prosecutor do the right thing here. Appoint a special prosecutor. The Clinton campaign fired back, saying the AP report relied on utterly flawed data, which gave a distorted portrayal of the secretary's schedule. They added that meetings with humanitarians like Melinda Gates or Nobel Prize winner Mohammed Yunus were squarely in the purview of America's top diplomat. They also rejected Trump's call for a special prosecutor. It is an act of desperation on his campaign, given the uh, turmoil that we've seen from his campaign in recent weeks. Newly released emails from Clinton aide Huma Abedin show foundation donors like SlimFast founder Danny Abraham were able to nab last-minute meetings with Clinton with one call to Abedin. But State Department officials say there's no evidence those donors got any special favors. The FBI director declined to say last month whether agents had looked into the foundation connection. I'm not going to comment. I'm not going to answer that. 
The term special prosecutor strikes fear in the hearts of longtime Clintonites who still recall when Kenneth Starr was appointed to look into the Whitewater controversy, an investigation that metastasized to include Paula Jones, Monica Lewinsky, and eventually contributed to former President Bill Clinton's impeachment. Anthony. Nancy, thanks. This is a problem. Simply put, this is a problem. More than half of the people that she met who were from outside of the United States, more than half of them had donated to the Clinton Foundation. What more needs to be said? If anything, at the very least, it means that Hillary Clinton is continuing the practice of Bill Clinton of being fucking careless with the public's goodwill and trust. The same kind of thing happened all throughout the Clinton administration. Donors, big donors, spending multiple nights in the Lincoln bedroom of the White House. Firing the travel office of the White House and putting in their particular people who had given them money. It's a problem with the Clintons. It is a pay-to-play kind of thing. And the best thing that's working for her right now is for Donald Trump to talk about it because it completely discredits the arguments, the valid points that are being made because no one fucking takes him seriously. But it doesn't even end there. As they mentioned there at the end, Huma Abedin, is becoming a liability for the Clinton campaign because she is in the closest orbit around Hillary Clinton. Which is likely strategic, is it not? Of course. I mean, for taking the fall type thing. Well, I don't think she's going to take the fall because she is just that protected, just that close to Hillary Clinton. Her role is being shown to be more and more problematic as more and more gets uncovered. Huma Abedin, Clinton's longest serving aide, is now finding herself thrust into the center of her boss's most durable controversies. And with that, I'll be making no further comments. Thank you. A flood of new emails from Clinton's private email server during her time as Secretary of State revealed this week and are raising new questions about the State Department's relationship with the Clinton Foundation. Enter Abedin. Emails obtained by Judicial Watch, a conservative watchdog group, show Abedin emailing with a top Clinton Foundation official, arranging a meeting with the Crown Prince of Bahrain, a foundation donor who was unable to get a meeting through official channels. Doug Band writing to Abedin, quote, asking to see her good friend of ours. None of the exchanges appear to offer a direct quid pro quo, but has opened the door for criticism. No issue better illustrates how corrupt my opponent is than her pay-for-play scandals as Secretary of State. Huma Abedin has been by Clinton's side for two decades, first working for First Lady Clinton as an intern in the White House, staying with her through her Senate run, her 2008 campaign in the State Department. Unconfirmed. Rising now to vice chairwoman of the Clinton campaign. She's on the road a lot, and um, I just 
you know, I'm there to help keep it all together and help people be at their best, including my boss. Their relationship is close, so close Clinton has known to refer to her as a second daughter. Good afternoon, my name is Anthony Weiner. And it was Clinton who helped Huma through the public fall of her husband, former Congressman Anthony Weiner, over his sex scandal. I love him, I have forgiven him, I believe in him, and as we have said from the beginning, we are moving forward. Abedin is a Muslim, born in Michigan, raised in Saudi Arabia, her father from India and her mother from Pakistan. Her background and family ties, the subject of speculation and scrutiny by Clinton critics. Rupert Murdoch's paper bringing up allegations this week about her association with this academic journal founded by her father that looks at issues related to Muslims living in Western societies, to which Huma is listed at one point as an assistant editor. And CNN spoke to many people who know that publication and know the region, and they describe it as a nonpartisan, strictly academic journal that does not raise flags in its content. But the Clinton campaign has had to respond to these allegations over Huma's role in the journal. A Clinton campaign spokesman telling CNN that she was not paid and did, quote, little to no work. So here's my problem with all of this is that she's listed as an editor in whatever position that she says she didn't get any money or really do any work. Well, then why are you associated with this? Because there's a lot of troubling work and text, whether it be academic or whatever, that has been released by this particular journal. Headlined, Women's Rights Are Islamic Rights, a 1996 article argues that single moms, working moms, and gay couples with children should not be recognized as families. It also states that more revealing dress ushered in by women's liberation, quote, directly translates into unwanted results of sexual promiscuity and irresponsibility and indirectly promotes violence against women. In other words, sexually liberated women are just asking to be raped. Quote, a conjugal family established through a marriage contract between a man and a woman and extended through procreation is the only definition of family a Muslim can accept. The dangers of alternative lifestyles were warned about. Well, this is a troubling connection because Human Abedin, by all accounts, is supposed to be some liberated liberal, some progressive who works around Hillary Clinton. And this is problematic. Because she knew the kind of work her parents are putting out. Why would she allow her name to be included on this, putting out this kind of hateful, religious-driven bullshit? This seems problematic to me. I don't know how far this is going to go because, again, this is the, the New York Post. This is a, a, a Rupert Murdoch company. But... There's more to learn about Huma Abedin and her role with the Clintons and her maybe true beliefs relative to to all of this extremism in 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 her in her religion, Islam. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think everybody knows that. But I think uh, this could be a problem. Huma Abedin's mom, who is in charge of this journal 
today, still, she's in charge. Right. Said in a 1996 article, quote, among all systems of belief, Islam goes the farthest in restoring equality across gender. Acknowledging the very central role women play in procreation, child raising, and homemaking, (laughs) Islam places the economic responsibility of supporting the family primarily on the male members. Wow. And evidently, Huma Abedin does not apologize for this. Equality, Brittany. She says, quote, my mother was traveling around the world to these international women's conferences talking about women's empowerment, and it was normal. Yeah, you, you're empowered as long as you make a mean casserole, Brittany. That's it. That's your role. Having babies, making sure the house is clean, and cooking up some mean grub. And, that is equality. And being beholden to men like Anthony Weiner. Right. Fantastic. Abusive, aggressive dickbags. All right. Well, I hate to uh, to leave to leave you all on such a a upbeat note. <laughs> but it is time. We're going to leave you there. We love you and appreciate you. Listen, if you would like to support the show and Patreon and PayPal and Amazon, those aren't your flavors. Those are great flavors, but if they're not for you, why don't you go over to iTunes and leave us a rating and or profanity-free review. That helps the show get in front of through whatever mysterious algorithm that iTunes use. It helps us get in front of new listeners. And we would appreciate it very much. Your frank, your candid, fan-driven review of this particular program. We love you. And until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore. And this has been I Doubt It. God's not dead. He's surely alive. (laughs) Living on the outside. (laughs)